0: Thank you, Josh, and thank you, Ben. The uh, line that jumped out at me is, Father, all that we need, and uh, that sure is true. It's my privilege to introduce our guest speaker today to us, Galen Hackman. He is from the Effort of Church of the Brethren. If the name sounds familiar and he looks familiar, if you've been in the Pottstown area, he was pastor... Pottstown a few years ago wasn 't it a long, time long time ago okay <laughs> okay so uh we 're glad to have him here with us today he 's part of the Nestor group, and uh, we certainly appreciate that We have uh i think an indebtedness to galen we uh, Tim was at the effort church at a brethren before he came here and before that, he was we voted on to bring Tim as a pastor here when we had our uh, team ministry. And I got defeated by a very, very, very small percentage. And then Tim ended up going to Africa. And I think that was a real blessing. Tim wasn't prepared to be the lead pastor of Parker Ford at the time, and I believe being under Galen, being in a church that was well established, Tim really picked up a lot of uh, a lot of experiences, and that uh, has been a blessing to us that he could bring that uh, to our church. So we we thank you for that, and uh, I guess with with that, I'd just like to pray for Galen and. Let him bring the message to us today. Father, we just consider it all joy that Galen and his wife could be here with us today. We thank you for the message that he has prepared for us. I thank you, Lord, for the ability, the wisdom that you have given him. We thank you for the reliance that he has put his trust in you. We thank you, Lord, that, well, just for the privilege that we have of being here today. Along with being with Galen, I ask that you will be with each one of us. I, help, I ask that you will help us just to be alert, be open, that we can take in the message that he has for us. That we could go forth and that we can apply it to our daily lives this coming week, we'll just thank you and just give you praise again that Galen can bring this message to us, and we ask all of us in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Thank you. <clears throat> well, good morning, everyone. Uh, I have to tell you that at first service, when Jay was introducing me and. Mentioning that I mentored Tim, my first thought was, eh, we all fail at something <laughs> <laughs> uh, just kidding, uh, <coughs> but uh, I learned as much from Tim as he learned from me I think it 's always a mutual uh, kind of situation when we're, when you work together with somebody like that, so it's, it was a blessing and uh, He left in eight to come here, <coughs> excuse me, um, and uh, we 've stayed in touch ever since, of course, so Anyway, it's good to be here with you this morning. Um, my wife and I were here in worship, uh, I don't know, when was that, Doris? A year or so ago, I think. For some reason, I had a Sunday off, and we came down this way to hang out with some people. And So it's good to be with you today. I want to, first of all, say, before I read my text for today, just um, commend you guys for being courageous enough to give your pastor a sabbatical. I have a lot of colleagues. I've been in the ministry 40 years. So I have colleagues who've been in the ministry 40 years. You know what I mean? Uh, a lot of them who've never had a sabbatical. You know, the way a lot of pastors get a break is they serve their church for seven or eight years and then they resign, take another church, and have a month or two in between. Because a lot of congregations aren't, uh, you know, they just aren't in the mindset. They don't think about uh, what the power of a sabbatical could mean for their pastor and for themselves. So you guys are be, need to be commended. You know, I've, I've been privileged to have had two sabbaticals. Actually, the year Tim left, uh, the effort of congregation was the year I should have had a sabbatical, and my leadership team said, sorry, you're not taking off, you know, because we were kind of adjusting to, you know, to having, you know, have, having lost his presence among us. And So then the following year in 09, I was granted a three-month sabbatical, so that was the second one that I've had. And, um, you know, I need to say, on the one hand, I know you guys think in terms of, well, our pastor needs a break or at least he thinks he does, uh, you know, whatever the case might be, and you grant, you know, graciously grant uh, your, your pastor, Pastor Tim in this case, a uh, uh, reprieve from responsibilities and the like, and he has an opportunity to do a number of things uh, that refresh him, and, and we tend to think in those terms. But there's another side to this, and I've seen it in both cases when I was on sabbatical, and that is what it does to a congregation. Uh, particularly my first church, which was smaller uh, than the one I currently serve, they came through my three-month sabbatical with a new sense of confidence in the fact that, you know, they, they are the church of Jesus Christ, and they are gifted and talented and called, and they're not dependent upon me as their pastor. One of the greatest fears a pastor has is that people become dependent upon him. And already, I'm, I'm leaving my position as senior pastor at Ephrata at the end of October after 14 years of serving there. And already I've had people say stupid things to me like, well, you know, when you're gone, I don't know they're going to come to church anymore. And my response is, if that's the case, you should have left a long time ago. If you're coming because of me, this is not what it's about. We're in this together. We're the church of Jesus Christ. We're pursuing God. We share in a vision and a purpose for the church. And I get it. We have a friendship and a connection and you appreciate my leadership, but the next guy's going to be even better. So, you know, know, we need to really rethink. And, And sabbaticals help churches rethink what it's all about, who they're committed to, uh, what, you know, what abilities they have as a body to step up and to, you know, to provide internally the leadership and the, and the gifts needed to continue the work of God. This is never dependent upon one person. If it is, we're in trouble. I mean, other than Jesus. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I just want to commend you for being courageous enough to say, you know what, we can do this. We can do this. And yeah, you know, it, it, I think... It makes you struggle a bit, but you know what happens when you struggle? You grow stronger. That's why I should lift weights every day. If I did, I would be ripped. But I don't, and so I'm not. So the idea is that pressure, struggle, takes you to a new place of realizing your strengths and your abilities, and that's, uh, that's a really good thing, so I, I commend you. And uh, don't expect that when Tim come back, comes back, is all going to be the same as it was before. Four months, he's changed and you've changed. Now, four months isn't a huge amount of time, but it's enough of time. Life doesn't stand still, churches don't stand still. You are a living organism. Things happen, things develop. And so when you come back, there's going to be a time of kind of reconnecting, readjusting, you know, kind of finding your traction again and understanding where God is calling you to a new season of church life. And that's the way it needs to be. And it's a good thing. It's a really good thing. So anyway, when I called to Josh and said to him, so um, come to preach. Um, I'm glad to be here. Uh, when, um, when I was on sabbatical, Tim came and preached for at least one of the Sundays that I was away. Um, so uh, it's the kind of thing we like to do for each other, and I'm glad to be here and to be among you. Uh, so I called Josh and said, what should I talk about? And he, he shared with me kind of three different themes, concepts, ideas that kind of are emerging as, as you study and preach and pray together as a congregation. And the, the last one was this concept of rest and Sabbath and sabbatical. Uh, I don't know that he used the word sabbatical, but the idea of Sabbath and uh, what that means in our lives as individuals and congregations and uh, immediately that one resonated with me. Yeah, the other ones were okay too, but that one resonated with me. I think on the one hand because it's a principle that I've worked at in my own life, we have to as pastors, you think well pastors got, you know, they got six days to do nothing because so they only work one day a week. Uh, follow me around some week or Josh, or any one of your other pastors. And uh, it's, a, it's a principle that we have to be really intentional about. And so do you in, in our world today, because it's no longer provided for you. You need to take the opportunity to be intentional about it. So I want to take you to Mark 2 and uh, read this passage of Scripture from uh, the life of Christ, from the teaching of Jesus. Uh, we're told in verse 23 of Mark 2, this is uh, really, I think, the only place Jesus addresses the idea of Sabbath, and he lays down for us a teaching that is foundational and transformative, Uh, one that's really been uh, always kind of speaking into my life in a variety of ways. So beginning at verse 23, uh, Mark 2, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And just to stop there for a moment, you may know that the Pharisees were a part of the Jewish religious system who were, you know, we'd say today they were the fundamentalists. They were the ones who had the laws, the rules, and the regulations, had them all well-defined, and they knew how to cross their T's and dot their I's, and you did it exactly like this because that's what was right. And so they uh, they understood the importance of Sabbath, uh, taking a rest from work, they knew it was one of the Ten Commandments, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And so they, you know, delineated in a very precise kind of way how it was that one kept the Sabbath. And for sure, you did not work on the Sabbath. Well, what is work? So the disciples one day are walking through a grain field, and I was raised on a small farm. Uh, we had wheat that we raised, and I, I, as a kid, I'd go out in the grain field when the, when the wheat was ripening, and you'd grab a head of wheat. I don't know if you've ever done this, you know, uh, I was preaching at Drexel Hill a few weeks ago and realized agricultural illustrations don't work down there. Uh, So I don't know if they work here or not, but you grab a head of wheat and you kind of roll it in your hands and you blow the chaff away and what's left are the kernels and you can eat them. Uh, That's what the disciples did. Now, the Pharisees said, ah, that's harvesting and harvesting is work. You can't do that on the Sabbath day. So they were admonishing Jesus and his disciples because they were hungry and they ate from this grain field on the Sabbath. Ah, that's work. You can't do that. Jesus answered in verse 25, Have you not read that David, King David, before he was king, when he he and his companions were hungry and in need, in the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God, the tabernacle. He entered the tabernacle. And he ate the consecrated bread. He ate the holy bread, the communion bread, as it were. It wasn't communion back then. That was there on the table of showbread in the holy place on display, only for the priest to eat. That's the only one who was allowed to eat that. And David brought his men in there because they were hungry, and he ate the bread. He ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful, only for the priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. David did this, the great king of Israel. Verse 27, Then Jesus said to them, And here's the principle. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And then what follows is another illustration. Chapter 3, another time Jesus went into the synagogue... And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, I like this, you know, he didn't just heal him in the corner quietly. He said, hey, stand up in front of everybody. Now watch, Jesus said. Uh, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? And they remained silent. How do you answer that question? He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. It's amazing how religion can be twisted, you know, to become the exact opposite of what it ought to be. So that's a really great passage of Scripture. Um, and I'm interested in this idea of Sabbath and what it means for us. Now, back home in Lancaster County, uh, where I was born and raised, and my wife and I lived a few other places for a bunch of years, but eventually came back there. Back home, if, when, I, when I start talking to people about Sabbath, they have two questions. Inevitably, the same two questions emerge, and they emerge right, right up front. Two questions. What might they be? Let's see how different Pottstown is from what two questions come to your mind? No, not what not what Sabbath means, but you know, when I say Sabbath, you know it means rest. When I say Sabbath, what two questions come to your mind pretty quickly? What am I allowed to do? And what day? Hey, Pottstown's no different than Lancaster. How about that? Yeah, almost immediately, people are like, whoa, Sabbath, are ta- what day are you talking about? You know, when, you know and, and, and what am I, what may I do? What am I allowed to do in Sabbath? Now, I'd suggest to you, those aren't bad questions, but they're not the best questions to ask. We'll get around to kind of addressing them as I plow through some of this this morning to keep with my agricultural analogies. Uh, <clears throat> so Mark 2 says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath." I remember as a young Christian bumping into this verse. I was raised in a setting. I was raised, uh, my parents were were fine Christian people, uh, but of a generation that viewed things a little bit more legalistically than I might today. And our little farm in northern Lancaster County was surrounded by farms, all of which were owned by, guess who? Mennonites. Now today, Amish own a a farm or two in that same neighborhood. But back then, Mennonites of one variety or another there's lots of different varieties of Mennonites which is okay Uh, and they were all a lot more legalistic uh, than we were we were this little island of brethren we were the liberals in that sea of conservative Mennonites but we were not by any means liberal and my parents had a pretty clear idea of what could and could not be done on the Sabbath and I grew up figuring thinking of the Sabbath as this I say square hole into which I must fit myself And Jesus comes along and he says, the Sabbath is made for you. You are not made for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath isn't some square hole somewhere that you've got to squeeze yourself into. The Sabbath instead is a gift to you to bless your life and for you to use in your life. And I'm like, wow, that is just completely revolutionary and freeing. And so uh, anyway, I want to explore that a little bit with you this morning. Uh, So this sermon's big idea, I like to sometimes just tell you this because sometimes people leave saying, man, the preacher talked about so much stuff today. I don't know quite what, you know, here's, here's what you need to know. So if you don't get anything else or if you feel like you're ready to doze off, get this, write it down so you have it. This is it. Okay, my big idea about this is that the Sabbath is a principle, not a law, and not even specifically or specially or necessarily a day. It is a principle by which we are asked to live. And you know, as a principle, it applies, Sabbath applies in practical ways to the totality of my life. A principle is a guideline, it's a concept, uh, it's a truth by which I am called to live And it impacts me on a variety of levels. Oh, it it impacts a day, but the Sabbath is not particularly a day. It's instead this idea, this principle that we're called to live by. Sabbath is related to the word sabbatical. I went to seminary for that. How about it? But it's also, more importantly, derived from the Hebrew word to rest. So we are talking about the concept of kicking back, Resting, relaxing, rejuvenating, rebuilding our world. Um, I think it speaks to the idea that God has designed us to live in such a way that there is a rhythm in our lives. A rhythm, uh, a balance between work and rest. And when that rhythm gets out of whack, uh, it has a negative impact upon our lives, practically and spiritually as well. A rhythm, you think about it, uh, you go all the way back to... Genesis chapter 1. One of the really cool things about Genesis 1, and I, you know, we can talk all day about whether are these 24-hour days or are these periods of time, or is it, as I think, just a poetic expression, a way of thinking about how creation began. But what's really cool about Genesis 1 is this rhythm that occurs. You know, God creates, and then he sits back and he says, that is really good, and he blesses it. And then he relaxes or does something until the next day, right? I mean, there's some, there's some break. God creates, and then there's a season, and then, and then day two, he creates again, and he, he sits back, and he blesses what he made. He says, this is really good, and he, he takes this kind of pause, and then there's day three, and he creates again, and he sits back, and he takes this pause, and he, he says, that's really good, and he blesses it, and he goes on, excuse me, I'm getting over a bad cold. So there's this, there's this rhythm, and, and then finally, after six days of creative activity, God takes a bigger break, uh, the seventh day. On the seventh day, he rested. It specifically said that. It's the word Sabbath. He takes a break from the routine. There's a rhythm to Genesis chapter 1, uh, a beautiful rhythm that I think is instructive to us. The rest that we're called to, the Sabbath that we're called to, is dedicated to our need. This rhythm in life is important because we have certain human needs. There, there's you know, uh, physical needs that we have. The Sabbath is made for us. It's God's gift to us. It's God's gift to us because we have certain basic human needs. And one of these human needs is to, is to practice this rhythm of life. So when you think about human needs that Sabbath could ador- address, what do you, what are some human, what are some needs you have that this concept of rest finding rhythm in life, could really speak to. What are some human needs you have? Well, you have a lot of human needs, but those that Sabbath could really speak to. Think about it. Pardon? Ah, the, the need for fellowship, relationships, socializing, absolutely. Some of that can happen while you're working, but it's different, isn't it, you know? Football. Well, that's not entirely wrong, <laughs> though uh, it, uh, I'll, I can speak to that a little bit later. Uh, but the need to uh, rejuvenate, the need to relax, the need to engage in something that refreshes you, something different from what occupies your world the rest of the, your week. So football can be that for you. It's not for me, but it could be for you. So, yeah. Pardon Sleep. Rest. Yeah, that's what we're talking about, rest. Uh, Exactly. So, yeah, rest, rejuvenation, caring for ourselves. Uh, You you know, um, life can be really busy. You guys know that. Work can be really demanding. Uh, When do you take care of you? Rest and Sabbath is about that. It's about investing in relationships, family and friends and community and the like. And it's about worship. You have a human need to worship. That's a spiritual need as well, but worship is built into the DNA of, of, the, of the human race. We need to worship. Everybody needs to worship. And people that don't recognize that, they're still worshiping. They're running around, filling their lives with all kinds of stuff that they think you know is taking care of this empty void within them, but it's not. You're here because you know that you need to worship. It's a, it's a basic need in life. And Sabbath is intended as... God's gift to us to enable us, to provide for us opportunities to build rhythm into our lives so that we might be well-balanced and healthy and healed individuals taking care of these particular human needs. So, to rest from work. Uh, we sometimes think of this as being kind of an Old Testament law, but it's interesting to note that even before God met Moses on the top of Mount Sinai and gave him the Ten Commandments, one of which is, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Even before that, in the Old Testament, you see this concept of Sabbath. You see this idea, this recognition that there needs to be some break into the regular routines of life. And that probably just is based on the whole creation narrative and the understanding that people had of that in the Old Testament times. So um, this is not about a law that God gave. Instead, I would say, it's about a principle that he asks us to live by. It, does, it is one of the Ten Commandments. And, you know, the Ten Commandments, um, I'll probably say this a little later, but the Ten Commandments, um, as all the laws of the Old Testament, um, are windows into the heart of God. You understand that? They are not just regulations that God dumps on you because he wants to see you wiggle and squirm. These are windows into the heart of God. They give us an opportunity to see things God cares about. And so Sabbath is one thing he cares about. And so in the Jewish practice, in the Jewish law, the seventh day was set as the day of rest and worship um, commemorates the people of Israel's freedom from Egypt. The Sabbath is set as the seventh day while the children of Israel are camped at Mount Sinai. Now, uh, my wife and I lived in uh, Africa for a while, in Nigeria. Um, in Northern Nigeria, which is predominantly Muslim, so it was very common for us to see our Muslim neighbors going to the mosque on Fridays Friday noonish they 've got the Kor'ans strung over their shoulders and they're heading off to the mosque because for the jew or for the Muslim, their day, their Sabbath, as it were, is Friday, Friday afternoon into the evening. Um, my wife and I spend some time in Israel from time to time. We take groups over there. and uh, One thing about Israel that's sort of cool, uh, particularly Jerusalem, is if you're in Jerusalem on a Friday uh, around sundown, they are all up their sidewalks, so to speak. N- n- everything closes. There's nothing going on. Uh, Jay reminded me, you know, you go down to the Western Wall on a Friday evening as the sun is setting and it is packed with Jewish individuals who are celebrating with joyous worship the coming of the Sabbath. It's a beautiful thing uh, to see them do that. So Jewish practice, Sabbath is from uh, Friday evening at sundown until Saturday evening at sundown. So, you know, we're talking about when is the Sabbath? Well, maybe the day is not as important as the principle, it seems to me. However, as Christians, we need to recognize that you know, Jesus changes everything, doesn't he? And you may remember that when Jesus died on the cross, um, one of the things that happened immediately was the veil, the curtain, that separated the holy place in the temple from the most holy place. The most holy place is where the Ark of the Covenant was, the mercy seat. It's the place where only the high priest could enter once a year to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat in atonement for the sins of the people. And do you know that the word for mercy seat is the same word that the New Testament uses when it says, if anybody sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he is the atoning sacrifice, the NIV says. King James says, he is the propitiation. If that was in Hebrew, it would say, he is the mercy seat. So you can think of Jesus right there in the mercy seat and as he died on the cross that veil was torn in two giving us access into the very presence of God by the blood of Jesus it's one of the things that happens while he's on the cross so Jesus comes and everything changes as it were and we see right from the get go yeah his disciples were Jewish individuals who had come to recognize that he was the promised Messiah and they still went to temple on Saturday mornings they still did Shabbat Friday night with their families I'm sure Um, But on the first day of the week, on Sunday, they began to gather for worship, Christian worship, in celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. When did Jesus rise from the dead? The first day of the week. Now, when I was a kid, I thought Monday was the first day of the week. You know why? Back to school. The week begins on Monday, doesn't it? You know? No, it doesn't. I I remember looking at a calendar as a kid one time. I'm not quite sure how old I was. I was a slow learner, so I may have been 15. I look at a calendar and I'm like, huh, the week begins with Sunday. How about that? And my parents are like, of course. Sunday's the first day of the week. It's the day of the resurrection. I tell my congregation pretty regularly when we gather on a Sunday like this for worship, even if it's not Easter, we are gathering this morning in celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the disciples did that week after week, and it began right away with Jesus in John 20. Then the disciples follow after in Acts 20. Paul, 1 Corinthians 16, talks about on the first day of the week when you come together, lay aside, you know, in store as God has prospered you. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. John in Revelation 1:10, he's in he's in the spirit on the Lord's day. That became the first day of the week became known as the Lord's day. And in, uh, the earliest Christian writing we have next to the Bible is uh, an order of discipleship and worship called the didache. Uh, comes out of early Christianity, and they talk all about how they gather on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I know Christians have debated this, and we have the Seventh-day Adventists who like to meet on Saturdays. Shh! Don't tell them. It's okay. Can, Saturday's fine. Don't tell them they have it wrong. They can figure that out someday. Wrong, I don't know. You know, but anyway, so our 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 principle is that Sabbath is part of the rhythm of our life, and if you're going to set aside a day, why not the day that celebrates the Lord Jesus Christ when it was proven that he indeed was the Lord Jesus Christ on his resurrection day. Um, that's gonna say something about that. Oh well, maybe later. So our lives, the point is our lives should show a rhythm of work and rest. Uh, that's God's intention. Sabbath is a principle to apply to your life. And I like to think in terms of, don't just think weekly. Think in terms of, first of all, daily. There should be Sabbath built into our lives on a daily basis. So, so I think about hourly, hourly Sabbaths, you know? Um, my day's marked off by hours for the most part. And you just think, hourly Sabbaths, what's all about? I want you to think about it. What is lunch hour? Other than a break from work, what's coffee? What's coffee hour? You know, I remember when I worked in, you know, uh, worked in industry in the secular world. Nine o'clock, man. We wanted, we wanted our coffee break, ten minutes. And if you didn't get your coffee break, and then noon time, we got you know an hour or thirty minutes or forty-five minutes, whatever your practice is for lunch. Now I get it. That's that's to take care. Of, oh what? Oh, it's to take care of human needs, isn't it? <laughs> to eat, to rest, to relax a bit, uh, to, then to re-engage in work. So, um, so. But not only that, but the whole concept of daily worship. Why do we encourage people to practice daily worship? Well, because Sabbath needs to be a rhythm in our lives. Now, to give a little portion of every day to God as an opportunity to meet with Him and to worship Him, be it first thing in the morning, last thing at night, or as, the, as the, the, there's, a, there's a wing of, of the church back more in the medieval times but it's being rediscovered today where people would pray the hours it's an old practice uh, still carried out in monasteries and the like where you, know, you get up and you have a prayer time uh, you work for a bit you have a prayer time you hit noon you have a prayer time maybe three in the afternoon you have a prayer time Five o'clock, six o'clock at night. You have a prayer time. You have prayer time before you go to bed at night. If you're in a monastery, you're up at two a.m. for prayer time. You are up at you know five. You know, you know what I mean? You're doing it. You're doing it around the clock. And most of us can't do that. But it's kind of being rediscovered today by the evangelical church. And a little while ago, a couple years ago now, I picked up a uh, uh, an Advent guide for Christmas time, uh, where um, the writer provided uh, meditations, brief ones, for like when you get up in the morning. Noontime, when you, know, when you get home from work, and before you go to bed at night, praying the hours. And I tried it. It's really hard. <laughs> it is real, I'm sorry. It's really hard. I'm busy. I got stuff in my mind to stop and to say, what's wrong with building Sabbath into my day? So just a challenge to think about. Rhythm to your life. Uh, what's, what's getting eight hours of sleep a night? Or six, whatever your case might be. It's part of the need to have rhythm in your life. Um, and then weekly, of course, to have a daily Sabbath. That's what taking a day of the week for worship. and We'll talk about other things. Rest and relaxation is all about. A weekly Sabbath. Be it, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, or whatever works for you guys. Uh, I was going to say earlier that... Um, <clears throat> A long time ago, when I was reading uh, the book of Genesis, I noticed that, you know, God's rhythm was, it was evening and morning the first day. Not morning and evening, like I would tend to think of a day, but evening and morning. And, and then I realized, you know, our Jewish friends, their Sabbath begins Friday evening at sundown. They call the family together. They have their Shabbat meal prepared. They light the candles. They sing the halah together as they worship, as they they prepare themselves, as they welcome in this Sabbath. And it extends until Saturday night at 6 o'clock. So I began practicing my weekly Sabbath begins Saturday evening, you know, dinner time. I like to plan a lot for Saturday. Now, granted, I'm usually preaching Sunday morning, so that's, that's maybe another motive for this. But I don't like to plan a lot Saturday evening. I like to use Saturday evening as a time to prepare for Sunday worship uh, so that I'm fresh. I, and it might even go back to seeing my parents and my dad in particular. My dad worked hard. He had two jobs, ran, ran a small farm as well as worked off the farm and all, all the while I was growing up. But on Saturday evening, usually after Lawrence Welk, uh, what my dad did was got out his Bible And his Sunday school quarterly. He wasn't a teacher. Not then. He taught later on. But he read his Sunday school lesson. In preparation for Sunday morning. I'm like, wow. I think back on that. That was a really cool example. Sabbath had begun for him. He had to get up the next morning. Feed the chickens. Take care of the pigs and stuff. I mean, stuff has to be done. Even though it's Sabbath. Um, But his day was different. So anyway, think in terms of weekly Sabbaths. Uh, And then yearly, wow, yearly Sabbaths. What's that all about? Well, would you take a job if they didn't offer you a vacation? Probably not, right? Yeah, we all expect this. And built into our year, I I didn't say it at first service, I intended to say, some people take a part of their vacation and every year do a mission trip as kind of part of their, their giving back, part of their taking this rhythm to life and being able to provide, you know, uh, opportunity for something different throughout the year. But this idea of, uh, you know, twice a year, of course I'm in a position that allows me to do this, twice a year I tend to go away for three or four days and retreat. I have a place I go, and it's not about watching football or, you know, you know what I mean? It's about going away in Sabbath, to rest, to worship, to pray to envision, Um, it's been a real gift. So Sabbath, rhythm to our lives, whether it's daily, weekly, or, you know, in the larger scheme of things. And uh, sabbaticals related to this whole thing, after a season of years, you you know, usually around seven, eight years, uh, we grant pastors sabbaticals or, you know, building their educational systems, used to be more than it is today, money's getting in the way of all that, you know, teachers could take a sabbatical, professors and sometimes, you know, other professionals are given the opportunity for sabbatical. uh, And that's a really good thing. So um, the question of what may I do on the Christian Sabbath, the one day a week set aside for rest, back to this principle. The Sabbath was made for you. It wasn't designed as something you must fit into. The Sabbath is God's gift to you the Lord of the Sabbath, it's the Lord Jesus. You need to ask Him, how do you want me to spend my Sabbaths? How do you want me to invest in that? So instead of seeing the Sabbath as some predetermined you know, objective that we all have to arrange our lives around, I think Jesus is calling us to see Sabbath as a principle, a time of rest, stepping back, a rhythm to our lives that is designed to honor Him and it's His gift to us. The Sabbath was made for you. As a wonderful gift, and it's cool to see the Jews joyously welcome the Sabbath. As a kid, I have to admit, sometimes I was like, oh, Sunday, you know, I can't play ball, I can't do this, I can't do that, because Sabbath was this list of regulations that we could or could not do. And my parents were really good about that compared to my neighbors. So remember that we're, we're not under law, we're under grace. Uh, that's principle number one to remember. Um, law is all about this is right, this is right, this is right, this is wrong. You can't roll that wheat in your hands because that is work and you're not allowed to work in the Sabbath. You can't harvest. And those are laws. And, you know, to have some guidelines isn't wrong necessarily, but grace is all about, you know, God's gift to you and what it is that brings you along and refreshes you uh, in your life. The Old Testament law is fulfilled, as I said. The curtain's torn in two. It's still there as a reminder, a witness to the heart of God. It shows us the things that are important to God. Sabbath is really important to God. And it's important to you because you've been designed to function best when there's a rhythm to your life. The Sabbath is for us. It's not against us. Um, So, those concepts. Then, to suggest a couple principles by which we might live uh, to live out our Sabbath. First of all, I'd say, Sabbath is God's gift for us. Thank Him for it. Enter into it joyously. Receive it as a gift. Bless God for thinking, thinking so highly of you but he wasn't simply concerned about your productivity and getting the most out of you that you could possibly get, that he could possibly get out of his creation. But he wanted you to experience a rhythm of life that, that, be, that brings blessing and refreshment because that's where productivity is the best, quite frankly. Um, and any good employer knows that. That's why they give you days off. And that's why they give you weeks off. And those that don't really need to rethink uh, what they're about in their business. So Sabbath is God's gift to us. Thank him for it. Secondly, we need to gather for worship on Sabbath. Jesus and the apostles show us that as an example. So however you structure your Sabbath, and I get it, not everybody can take Sunday, but you know, gathering for worship is a really important part of Sabbath, be it daily or weekly or yearly. Tithing, proportionate giving. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of the week, on the first day of the week, when you come together as a church, uh, set aside, in store, as God has prospered you, proportionate to your income, an amount of money, and Paul says, I'll gather it up when I come. Eh, giving was a little different back then. He was asking for a gift to help uh, others in need. And so we, we, we do the same principle. We pass those offering plates every Sunday morning. Why? Because worship is a you know giving is a part of worship. Responding to God with our tithes and offerings is a way of saying, God, I recognize that all of this is yours, none of it is mine. In your grace, you have extended to me the opportunity to, to manage some of your possessions. I'm giving it back to you. I'm doing it on the first day of the week. I'm setting aside in store as you prospered me. It's a whole other topic about giving, tithing, what is the New Testament principle for giving? It starts at tithing. It doesn't stop there. The principle is proportionate giving. As God has blessed you, I tell my congregation, there are some of you sitting here that if all you're giving this morning is 10%, you're slapping God in the face because you have been prospered well beyond, well beyond the average person. And there's others sitting there that to give 10% is sacrificial. It is sacrificial, and God's going to honor that. So anyway, tithing, we do that on the first day of the week. Uh, refresh, renew yourself. Shabbat is the word that means to cease from work. So um, here's where we need to be really careful in how we view one another because this is not about law. This is not about um, delineated things that are right and wrong to do on the Sabbath day. (coughs) This is about grace. It's about a gift to you. It's about using the Sabbath as an opportunity to renew yourself and rejuvenate yourself. And so I have some colleagues, some friends, some, some... members of my congregation who um and my parents saw this they would roll over in their grave but god forbid these people mow their yard on sunday you know i was raised like Whoa, that would have been horrible to do and i'll tell you right up front there is no way i'm mowing my yard on sunday none but you know why Not because I think it's wrong. Because I hate mowing yard. (laughs) I'm serious. I hate mowing yard. It makes no sense to me. You know? I just did this last week. I got to do it again. I, I do not like mowing yard. I like having a nice yard, so I mow my yard. I hate it. Quite frankly, I'm not using my Sabbath to do something I hate doing. Something I get no joy out of. Something that does not rejuvenate me. It does not refresh me. It does not bless me. You know what I mean? I'm not using my Sabbath for that. I've got friends in my church. Guess what? These people are crazy. I don't get this. They love mowing yard. It refreshes their soul. I'm like, get out of here. You are psychotic, are psychotic. No, I just love it. I get out there, I sit on my mower, I put my worship songs in my headset. Nobody bugs me. I got an hour and a half of just devoted, undivided time. And I'm like, you're nuts. So it would be easy for me to stand in judgment over them. There's no law telling me where to go here. There's a principle that says the Sabbath is for you. You're not made for this Sabbath. So if my little square peg out here does not include mowing yard, then you don't fit in it. But you see, that's not the point. I'll go in my workshop, start up my table saw, cut up some wood, tinker with my car, you know, tune up the engine on Sunday. You know why? I love that. It actually refreshes me. So... The question is, the Sabbath is for you. It's about refreshment. Maybe football refreshes you. Now, I think you're psychotic, quite frankly. <laughs> you know, you've got to be nuts. But, hey, if, it, if, you know, whatever refreshes your soul, uh, fine, you know. Um, refresh, renew. Uh, that's the goal for our Sabbath. Um, And I can't stand in judgment over people who find their refreshment in ways that are different than mine, assuming they're legitimate things, you know. Use it as a time to serve others, to reach out, to care for others. Jesus did that. He healed a hand on the Sabbath day, right? Uh, Use it as a time to invest in your family and your community. Think relationally. God honors relationships, and our lives are often so busy I grew up in a community where, you know what, my neighbors did on Sunday afternoons? They went to visit their neighbors and sat on the front porch. And, you know, usually the men over here and the women over there. And they talked. You know, they knew each other. They cared about each other. And when somebody was sick, they took them some food. And, you know, there was a relational connectedness. Now, I get it. We live in a different world. And I don't do that with my neighbors necessarily. But what about the people we care for? You know, isn't Sabbath an opportunity? to develop relationships, to invest in one another, to show our care and concern for one another. We need to come back to some of that stuff where we we set aside time to intentionally invest in one another's lives relationally. Otherwise, uh, you know, it just doesn't happen. And then we live fragmented, divided, broken lives and we wonder what's wrong. So uh, a few suggestions for making your weekly Sabbath uh, meaningfully. Observe it regularly. Don't give up the habit of Gathering together, worshiping together, as the manner of some is, Hebrews 10 says. Sunday, of course, if you can, but my wife worked for a while in a retirement home. She worked every other weekend. Um, and she knows how hard it is when you're out of that routine to take the other day, you, you know, so some weeks she had a day off during the week. was wash to do and stuff to do, but where's her Sabbath? So I know that sometimes you need to be really intentional about keeping this alive in your lives when your work schedules, you know, go off the radar screen and, and, and you know, you've you got a job that's there's things that have to be done 24-7. There's no doubt about that. So, but try to reserve it regular, observe it regularly. Sunday if you can. Um, prepare for it. Like I said, my da- I have this vision of my dad studying his Sunday school lesson for Sunday morning. What does it mean? I say that my congregation sometimes, you know, so uh, what do you guys do to prepare for worship this morning? other than get in your car and drive here. Come in and sit down and shut up. You know, was there anything else? How do we prepare for our Sabbath? How do we invest in it? So I'd encourage you to try to prepare for Sabbath. Come ready. You know, every week we send out an email to our whole congregation, and in there is my sermon text, and one of, you know, a little bit, just like two sentences, what I'm going to preach about on Sunday. And there are people in our church who have that read before Sunday morning. It's not the majority. It's a way to prepare for Sunday morning, to come ready to engage in worship. Understand Sabbath as a spiritual discipline. Praying, fasting, reading scripture. You know, God has given us practices that when engaged in with grace, open our lives up to spiritual depth we wouldn't otherwise experience. And Sabbath is one of them. It is a spiritual discipline, a gift from God. And then realize that, you know, normal isn't working, so it's time for us to be weird. Uh, When I say normal isn't working, look around. You know, what's happened to Sabbath? What's happened to the concept of... Even in the employment world, it seems to me that there's more and more employers who want more and more out of you without necessarily honoring your need for daily Sabbath and weekly Sabbath, uh, let alone yearly Sabbath in your lives. It's this push for more and more and more and more and nowadays, I mean, we can't expect our society to honor this. I, I remember as a kid when if I wanted to shop on Sunday, I couldn't shop on Sunday. There was nothing open. I'm not saying it's right or wrong to shop on Sunday. The Sabbath is yours, you know. Does it rejuvenate me? I'll tell you right now. Shopping does not rejuvenate me. Parting with money never rejuvenates me. <laughs> you understand? You understand? So anyway, that, but I don't, you know, I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just saying there was a time when society helped define for you what you're going to do on your, on your Sabbath. It doesn't anymore. Normal is don't respect anything. And, and friends, that isn't working. I just pulled this Google thing as an Ngram viewer, you know, where Google will search all the, all the books uh, in the digital database for the occurrence of a word. And so you, th- you type in Sabbath... And notice what's happened. There's been a little bit of an upswing on the use of the word Sabbath, capital S, not small s. Um, But there was a time when Sabbath was a regular part of our conversation. That's what I'm saying. It's not anymore. Normal has taken us to a bad place. So it's time for us, I say, stop being normal. Be weird. Practice something different than what you see in your community. Uh, Live a life of rhythm with respect and joy as you receive this gift from God into your life. Um, Isaiah, this passage as we close, Isaiah 58 says, if you keep keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not not going your own way, and doing as you please, are speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord, and I will cause you to ride in triumph from the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Look at the heart in the, the center of this passage, the promise. Then you will find your joy in the Lord. How many of us Go through our routines day in, day out, week in, week out, and there is no joy. It is just drudgery and duty, responsibility. The answer to finding joy is to find a rhythm to your life that includes Sabbath. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word, for Jesus who is Lord of the Sabbath. And uh, we confess that um, it's really easy for us to uh, just get so tied up and so busy and so focused in life that there's so many responsibilities. There's so much to do. Uh, Needs are difficult. And so we, we confess that, Lord. It's easy for us to fall out of rhythm. And it's to our detriment and certainly to our detriment as far as our relationship with you. So help us to build rhythm into our life that honors you, not in a legalistic way, but as a gift from you. In Jesus' name, amen.